You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Has it become normal to us that God came to earth to be born? In this episode, Lance reminds us of the wonder of our salvation, that God himself came to earth, that the Son of God is a human. Let's listen. Uh, the scriptures I have this evening are just a few, but I think it's very good for us, although over this period we shall hear quite a number of them, probably, or read them, hear them either sung in carols or hymns or um, see them on cards and so on. I think it's very good for us just to look at one or two scriptures and understand ourselves the mystery of this time. Um, I've said this before, but um, the older I become in Christ, the more I realize the absolute mystery of the message of Christmas. You see, people sometimes say to me, but surely Easter is greater than Christmas. But there would be no Easter without Christmas. And we can never divide the two. Christmas and Easter and Whitson, if you want to put them in our terms, belong together. The birth of the Lord Jesus, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, his finished work, his ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit are all one great work accomplished by God. But there is a sense in which it all began with Bethlehem. And therein lies the greatest mystery, in my estimation, in the whole Bible. And it's only when you begin to grasp it, really grasp it, um, and only when your mind starts to reel at the incomprehensible greatness of it, uh, it's only then, I think, that you begin to understand just what a wonderful thing it is to be a child of God. It's no small thing. It's not just a matter of singing hymns and saying prayers and and, and going to meetings and now and again witnessing to somebody else. And As we've said, one day you're going to go to heaven and and live there as if that's the Christian life. Uh, You know, there's something far, far greater than that. That is, after all, necessary, those things. But they're only details. They're only just the outward expression of something within. If you've got the outward thing without the inward thing, well, we are of all people, I think, the most miserable and the most legal. But when we've got the inward thing and a growing understanding, a growing appreciation and a growing experience, uh, then I think the outward is just, as it were, a, a, a means by which uh, what we've got can be seen and expressed. And I think that uh, if you think about it um, just sensibly, there must be something much more than singing a few hymns, saying a few prayers, and reading the Bible, and witnessing to a few people that God himself should have become man. To me, uh, it makes a mockery of everything if God became flesh and thought out this whole plan of salvation and, and went to the most extraordinary lengths to redeem you and me 
And when he's got us, we have nothing else but a lifelong trouble to him. Let's face it. And if you don't think you're a trouble to him, uh, well, you wait till you're in the glory and you'll find out just how big a trouble you've been to the Lord from the moment you were saved. All of us, we're just, we're just, oh, the complexes, oh, the inhibitions, oh, the, the rebellion, the, 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 the ways the Lord has to go to us, the years he has to wait to get us to a simple little position, sometimes just to get our feet on the rock. He has to say years just to allow us to go through deep waters, trials of fire, just to bring us to the place. Do you think that he gets some morbid satisfaction out of putting us through grueling trials? Of course not. Not that at all. The, 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 the fact of the matter is that the Lord is doing it for us. And yet we are so difficult. I, I, it amazes me. I mean, the Lord, as, as some agnostics have said, if our God is so great, why didn't he finish with us all at the beginning and start all over again? Why not? Why not just wipe the whole lot out at the beginning and done with us all and, and, and sort of start it all over again with a new Adam and Eve? Uh, and perhaps this time they would have gone the right way and we wouldn't have had all this trouble. Marvellous argument. But it totally leaves out the love of God and, and the greatness of God in the end. God who has put his hand to the plough, as it were, will never look back until he's got us there. And that's the wonder of it all is that uh, he's doing it. And the very thing at the beginning that he first wanted to have in humanity through the years he's been producing it. And the wonderful thing is that he takes sometimes the poorest material, the rottenest material, the most difficult material, and there he works upon it like a master craftsman, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, until slowly but surely he gets it. And whatsoever the Lord doeth, it is forever. So, sometimes with some of us, because we are so difficult, he only gets one thing done in a lifetime, but that one thing is beautiful. And when we go into the presence of the Lord, he may have only got one thing done because we are so difficult. And there may not be a lot, but that one thing is beautiful, and it's eternal. It's in the city. Maybe very little of it, but there it is. Now, to me, the thing is that if God became man, surely, surely there must be a term, something far bigger than you and I realize in all this, that he should have saved us. Not to send an angel. He couldn't do it that way. Not to anoint a prophet or use an earthly king or uh, through an earthly priesthood, but to become himself man. Now, the trouble with most of us, I'm quite sure, especially those who've got a kind of Christianized background, is we are so used to this business about God becoming man that it doesn't mean a thing to us. We, we are so familiar with it. We, we can take to it, as it were, putting it very crudely as ducks to water, and we just don't think about it. 
But I think that it's only when you meet someone, for instance, on the other side of the world, uh, who looks at you and goggles at you when you say that God became flesh. Or when you've got some lad who's a beatnik in, who's an agnostic or got some other sort of rebellious ideas about God altogether and says he can't accept that God became man. What, a, what an extraordinary idea that you and I had to think. Think again and see just how extraordinary the gospel is. Well now, look at the scriptures. John chapter 1 <laughs> Verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we understand from this that the Son, who uh, God the Son, no beginning and no end, the almighty, infinite God, he became flesh. He became flesh. That is the message of this time. So a woman, younger than most of the ladies in this room, probably about 14 or 15 years of age at the most, became the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a shock for us to realize that she was so young. Yet she was probably no more than 14 or 15 when the angel first spoke to her. And within her, by the Holy Spirit, was conceived the Son, the Lord Jesus. God, the Son, who did, who was not created became flesh, as it were, took, took a body, took, took human form, but took much more than that, he became an actual man. It's not that God just took on a, a robe of flesh, wasn't really man, but he actually became man. He actually became one of us. And that is so amazing to me to think about it, that God himself became man, so that whilst he was still God and retained all the characteristics and attributes of God, yet at the same time he became one of us, yet without sin. Yet he became one of us. He had hair and eyes and a color to his eyes and a color to his hairs. He had features, features. He had, he had, a, he had a, a body. It, it was, I don't know how, how tall he was, but he had a height. <laughs> he had a gait. He walked. He, he wasn't just a kind of a, um, um, uh, nondescript person. He had an original character, an original body, and expressed himself through it. That's the wonder of it all. So that later on in his life, you get people who say, is this the, the um, don't you know, his father, Joseph the carpenter? 
and people who had lived there, they had never seen God in him. They'd only seen the outward. He's got a body like us. He thinks like us. He acts like us in one sense. Maybe very good and righteous and so on, but he, he's a, just like us. So all the way through the life of the Lord Jesus, you've got this division. You've got those who just looked at the man. And because he was so much one of us, people were able to say, we, we, we can't accept this. When he, when he read the scriptures in the, uh, in the synagogue of his own hometown and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and read from Isaiah and then said, this scripture is fulfilled today in this place, they rose up and would stone him. They were actually going to stone him. That's how deep it went. They felt that this man who's grown up amongst us is blaspheming. And yet there were others who recognized in him, not just, they didn't, they didn't stop short at the human form. They looked beyond, beyond it and, and, and found God himself. Now, you find this again if you turn over uh, the scriptures to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. 1 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's a very beautiful phrase, this. Um, the mystery of godliness. I, I think because it's a bit involved, we sometimes overlook it. The mystery of God. You know, there's no such thing as godliness left to us, to ourselves. No such thing as true godliness. The mystery of godliness. Godlikeness. Godliness. Here it is. God, or as it puts in the Revised Version, he who was manifested in the flesh. Now, there's, um, there doesn't mean any difference to the old version. God was manifested in the flesh. If you think of it, he who was manifested in the flesh, it means he had a pre-existence. He was manifested in the flesh. He lived before. Uh, the authorised version puts it this way. God was manifested in the flesh. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? God revealed in the flesh. Now, that means that for love of you and love of me and for this great purpose of redemption that God had, and much more than that, some great eternal objective of God that lies still in the future, God was prepared to be born of a woman and to be nursed by a woman. So that in that little foot or so of flesh and blood was the one who had created the universe. Now that's what so many of our carols sing about. And some people say, tell me that they feel they're sentimental. I, I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree. I believe that they, that they, they can be sentimental. And some of them are sugary. That's true. But nevertheless, the fact of the matter is, there is something which our forefathers never failed to overwhelm our forefathers. Perhaps in their simplicity of approach in some ways. That in that woman's arms lay God himself. Think. I think that's extraordinary. 
And I don't suppose I or anyone in this room will ever fully understand the message of this time. So that every time, as I say, every year I get older, uh, and I trust I get a, 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 a little older in Christ, every year I'm face to face with a mystery. It's because at this time we, we think about it. And when you think about it, the mystery is so tremendous to think. I, I, well, I, my mind just, I, I like it to, to be that way. My mind just reels. And I always think that's good. When our minds are lost in something infinite, so great. We just grasp a little of it and we're left in one. I, I can understand the shepherds. I can understand the king, the wise men when they came. Uh, the, the, there was something, that they, they were in touch with something infinite. They couldn't fully understand. Something intuitively told them inside, this is not just a king. This isn't just a, the Messiah. There's something more in it. There's something infinite. When they saw those um, angels sing glory to God in the highest. And they came and saw that little baby. I mean, it's all such a strange setting, isn't it? In, in some little sort of lean-to uh, cattle shed or cave that was used for cattle. And there in the manger was the one, this little baby, just born. And I personally, of course, the ladies will undoubtedly disagree with me. I personally think newborn babies are very ugly. I, 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 I've seen many ladies clucking over newborn babies and cooing over them and saying how beautiful they are. I personally think that newborn babies are terribly ugly. They're the greatest sympathy with my mother when she wept. The first time she ever saw me. Um, uh, I think that there's something very really ugly to me about a newborn babe. Later on, a few days later, it's a different, but something not very beautiful about a newborn. There he was, just born. Yet those shepherds, there's something they're so taken by the infinity of, of the one who was in the manger that they just worship. <coughs> and it says they went all the way back to their fields worshipping and glorifying God. And then the wise men who came such a long way um, because they'd seen in the heavens his sign and had read the stars correctly. And there was, there is something in them sometimes. And uh, they'd come and they also had uh, um, made their gifts. Now, to me, I say that it's an extraordinary thing. And I don't think any of us will ever understand it. My point is this this evening. It's only a very simple point. If God has gone to such extraordinary lengths for the likes of you and me, how great must, how great must our salvation be? We owe, how tragic that we do so little with what God has provided for us in our salvation. When you think of it, that he who, who created the heavens and the heaven of heavens and created the earth and created everything that was in it should be contracted, as we've sung in, that, uh, in, in, in this hymn here, contracted to a span. Contracted to a span. Wesley had got it. God contracted to a span so that he was restricted to the span of a baby. 
fed by his mother, nursed by his mother, uh, looked after by his mother, washed by his mother, everything by his mother. It was God dependent upon a woman. It is extraordinary. I say, uh, to me, it is amazing. Now if we turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verse um, 20, we read, who was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but was manifested at the end of the times for your sake. Foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but was manifested at the end of the times for your sake. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away sins. He was manifested to take away sins. And in him is no sin. Verse 8, the last part of it. To this end was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The manifesting of God that he might first of all um, uh, take away sins and secondly we're told destroy the works of the devil it's one thing to have our sins the penalty of our sins forgiven but what about the works of the devil sometimes there are many works of the devil left in our circumstances many works of the devil left in our very beings Certainly all the way through our Christian life we shall be coming up against the devices and works of the devil. But the Lord Jesus was manifested, God was manifested in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil. What man could not do and what an angel could not do, God himself has done. That, I say, is tremendous. You turn back to Hebrews and chapter 2 and verse 14. We read the same thought again. Since then the children are sharers in flesh and blood, he also himself in like manner partook of the same, that through death he might bring to naught him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver all them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There we are, through death. He destroyed him that had the power of death, that he might deliver us who have been in bondage. Now we are in bondage until the Lord saves us. And it's a question of how deeply we allow him to save us as to how free we are from bondage. And uh, here it is. The fact of the matter is that the Lord Jesus has died that he might destroy him who has the power of death and deliver us. And so we think of the word of the Lord Jesus, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And again, stand fast therefore in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Yoke of bondage. Don't get entangled again in that yoke of bondage. And then... Lastly, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. 
This is our last verse this evening. Well, it's from verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that thou art no longer a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. I say, the thing that amazes me is that if God went to such lengths to um, um, bring salvation to us, uh, that he himself came into the world, broke into human history, there must be something tremendous in it. And one of the things that I often feel is that the Bible draws a veil over the future. And we know very little about the future in actual fact. That's why we have so many questions about it. We don't know whether we shall actually eat or drink in one sense as we do now. Uh, we have our interesting theories about it based on many different things we find in the Word of God. We don't really know whether we're going to fully recognize one another there. We have our own ideas about that. We don't even know what we're going to do. We know that we shall serve him, for it says so. We know that we shall worship him, for it says so. But we don't know what more there is. And that to me is rather wonderful because I believe it's all part of faith where it says in the Old Testament the things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children but the things which are secret belong unto the Lord our God. And you know, um, God has given us just enough, just enough that if we really think we shall be overwhelmed with the greatness of our salvation. Just enough. But just uh, so little that if we want to be familiar and contemptuous, we can be. So that we can treat our salvation lightly. And by so doing, we lose much of the inheritance. Now to me, that is a serious and solemn warning. Because, uh, as I see it, there is a tremendous future in front of the Christian. God didn't just save us to sit on clouds and play harps, or lie on beds of ease, as one old hymn has put it, um, forever and ever. It's ridiculous. We're intelligent human beings. Think. Just think for a while. If you become, uh, you often think, oh, I'd love to have a long rest. <laughs> a long rest. Especially just now. We all think, oh, get away to a place like Tahiti. Or somewhere like that and just rest in the sun and, and blue 
sea and gold and sand. Do you know that after about three weeks you'd be so bored? Yes, you would. <laughs> so bored after a month or two because you're an intelligent human being and God has given you intelligence, given you faculties and unless they're used and, and utilised, we, we are, because we are animate beings and thinking beings, we become bored. But to me, I'm quite sure of this, that God who is so creative is not going to stop being creative after the second coming just because he saved us all. And now we're all, as it were, in his presence. He's not going to sit down and sort of grow old, to put it very reverently. As I say, now, of course, I've done it all. Do you really think that this little parenthesis of time is everything? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. It's like a pinprick. Just nothing at all. When this little pinprick of time is over, then there will be an eternity. And that eternity without end surely means that God is going to go on with his, with whatever was in his mind at the beginning when he first created man. Uh, whatever is sort of uh, uh, inferred, implied in those wonderful words about um, the natural creation being subjected to futility, to vanity and one day being liberated from it. Um, it means somehow or other that God has a tremendous scheme for eternity. I don't know what it is. No one knows what it is. But what I do know is this, that you and I, the redeemed of the Lord, will be in the, at the heart of it. Because the Lord Jesus is going to be at the heart of it. You see, in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, His plan is to sum up head up all things in Christ. Everything in heaven or on earth to sum it all up in him, head it all up in him and then he goes on, in whom you also were made a heritage. Now that means that you and I are the heritage of God. He's going to come into us. He's going to inherit us. And once, what do you do with an inheritance? You use it. You enjoy it. So one day the Lord is going to inherit us as it were. You know, Paul prays about this. He says that we might have the eyes of our heart enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. His inheritance in the saints. Well, to me that means that there's a future and that all that's happening down here in this life is but a, 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 a kind of schooling for something tremendous which is ahead. For us, time means everything. And the things of time mean everything. But one day, when we're all in eternity, time will be so far away. You know, I sometimes think, and no doubt Ron does, of the two years we spent in Egypt. But you know, those two years seem so little now. They're gone. Yet when we were there, and the government, oh, we didn't like the government. The government kept on putting on months. You see, when we went in, we only went in for a year. 
And then suddenly while we were out there, they put on another three months. And then they put on six months. And they put on another three months. We ended up doing two years. And every time, you know, we used to have in the office, um, about, all of us had the same. Some of them had it over their bed. I didn't have it over my bed, but I certainly had it in the office. One of those things that went, had one, two, three, four, five, six. It was right every day counted to the end. It went up to about, you know, 90 something or other. And we, every day we used to scrub out one. And we, oh, each day was like eternity. <laughs> no, really, each day was just like a dandy. It seemed so far away. And when the government put on three months, I saw some men weep. <laughs> the sheer thought of it. It was just like being out there in that dreadful climate with all that thing. It seemed endless. Now, what is it? Just a little pinprick in the past. We, we think about, well, it's only when we sit down and talk about it, we realise how long it was. It, it's gone. It's, it's, but what will it be when we're in eternity? And we think of this little town, all our worries and cares of every day and this and that that get us down. And we think back and we, sh we shall have to think hard to remember some of the things. Drains getting blocked up and <laughs> things coming in and children squalling and other things happening. It'll be hard to think about it then, in eternity. And don't think that we'll just be sitting where we won't be. There'll be something that God has on hand and we'll be in it if we're faithful. We'll be at the heart of it. A city is not just a monument. It is the hub of a whole area. It is the administrative centre for a whole area, commercial centre for a whole area. And the idea of taking the symbol of the city as, as at the end of the Bible means here is something new, something that is the headquarters of a new administration, an eternal administration that has no end. And we're in it. And then it says that that city uses another picture and calls the city the bride. Now what is the bride? A bride, well, it means, surely it means something in communion, in fellowship, in growing experience, in an understanding, in appreciation, and all the rest, sharing together for all eternity. Why, just think of it. In another place it calls that city the temple. There is no temple. Says for the Lamb uh, is the temple. And uh, I think that that's also wonderful because that speaks of worship. And uh, that's the three sides you get at the end of the Bible for all eternity looking out. Now, to obtain you and me, God became man. Now go away and think about it for this Christmas. And don't let all the rush and the bustle and the weariness and everything else tear away the real message of this time. <coughs> um, ask the Lord just to lift you above it. If you've got a family, try and bring it home in small ways. We have often wondered what we should do about Christmas. Well, we felt we should keep it and uh, possess it for the Lord. And this we do. And the whole idea behind it is this. Our Lord Jesus is a man. And he has a birthday. Think. So we keep his birthday, the birthday of the King. It's as simple as that.
And although we don't believe for one instant that it is the actual birthday, just like the Queen's official birthday, it's not her actual birthday at all, we keep it. Well, when you're going to use someone you love, you do special things. You, you, you become festive. Some people seem to think that Christmas, Christmas shouldn't be festive. My dear friends, it's his birthday. Surely we should be a little bit festive. Rejoice! On our birthdays, we, we, what would we think if everyone came in with gloom and sort of thing, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of, you know, and uh, 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 just one long groan and moan. Well, we'd think, oh dear, I'd rather you hadn't come. I'd rather not meet you. I mean, on a person's birthday, you just try to be a little bit appreciative, even if, I mean, even if someone you're not so keen on, you're not so fond of, you try to show a little bit of understanding, a little loving and kind on that day. Uh, I mean, that's in the world. But I mean, uh, when you think of the Lord, oh, I think it's something to be festive about, uh, that the Lord Jesus has a birthday and that there is something that we can do uh, for him and there's some appreciation we can show some gratitude we can show some little understanding of what it cost him well may it be so and may it be that we shall be able to share with others something of the message of this time and be able to share with others a little of what it means that God was manifested in the flesh shall we pray Dear Lord, we do pray that as we enter into this time, something of the mystery of it may really come on us. Now, nurse Lord, for many of us, uh, we are so used to the whole idea and conception that, Lord, it's never really dawned on our hearts. Lord, by thy spirit, carry it into our hearts. And may it be that thy love shall become a real thing to us over these days, that there could be such love behind our salvation and the greatness of our salvation. May that come home to us, Lord. And the glorious objective of it all, may that come home to us. And make us, we pray, dear Lord, a, a rejoicing people in thyself. Well, now we commit ourselves to Thee in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May you know that God is with you. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Wow.